this week on A Lively Experiment, the mayor of Providence has a message for ATV riders not in our city. And the state Republican Party has a new chairman. We'll hear what his plans are for the election cycle. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Jim Vincent, former president of the NAACP branch in Providence, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, and political contributor Don Roach. Hello and welcome to Lively. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Providence Mayor Brett Smiley left little doubt this week that there is a new sheriff in town when it comes to battling groups of ATV riders tormenting some of the city's neighborhoods. His plan includes a dedicated team of police officers and use of investigative techniques like video and social media to try and prevent problems before they start. Um, it, it, let me start with you, Jim. He got generally good uh, reviews on this. There were some people who did take issue, probably because of some of the video surveillance. What, what, on well, first blush, what do you think? Well, at first blush, uh, I was concerned about the same things that uh, ACLU, in terms of the video and Black Lives Matter, R.I. PAC, in terms of uh, the, um, the criminalization possibilities. Uh, and for full disclosure, I'm a senior advisor for Black Lives Matter, R.I. PAC. However, we did not talk about this particular issue. You put the wall up on this one, right? Well, uh, I, we just didn't talk about this particular issue. Uh, you know, this is a national problem. Uh, they have the same issues in New York City, D.C., Boston, Philly, Charlotte, and Baltimore. And it seemed like only one city seems to have had a decrease in crime. And it wasn't because they were arresting their way out of it. They have a program working with young teenagers with the city uh, around education. It's a special program that they've had, and they showed an 81% drop in terms of arrests in terms of these ATVs. So whatever Baltimore's doing, maybe we need to take a page out of that. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's a problem, and it needs to be dealt with, uh, but I'm not too sure uh, if we're going to have it effectively dealt with this way. Lisa? I was very pleased to see both the new mayor and the new police chief taking a strong stance on this. I think they sent a strong signal that this is an important issue to the city of Providence and they want to address it. But I think what they're doing isn't addressing the core issue. We have young men, mostly men, who want this as a recreational opportunity. And by going after them the way we continue to go after them, the same way that Mayor Alorza, I'm not sure it's going to change their behavior. So I can understand why they want to be able to have a place in Providence where they can have fun. So I don't understand why we can't have that option for them. But you shared with us last night that Representative Charlene Lima has put legislation that would make it a penalty, actually crime, in, in crime to yep. put them in jail. So I don't know if something like that will deter the behavior from happening or not. Yeah, I just, <clears throat> just reading some of Mayor Smiley's rhetoric just made me feel like he was a attacking you know, if, if the, the murder or rape rates had gone up, attacking this in that similar manner. And it just didn't feel to me, it, it doesn't feel to me to be the same thing. There are people who want to ride these vehicles, but there's no real space for those vehicles. They're not legal on the road, though. So what do you do? They may not be legal on the road, but again, it's more about how can we provide a space for where, where, they, can, where they can ride somewhere. Um, because it's not like a riding a dirt bike or an ATV 
is not the same as uh, other criminal activity, in my opinion, selling drugs or committing you know, robberies or, or whatnot. And so rather than attacking the, the, the legality of what is happening, why don't we just find a space for these folks to ride safely? Why, why, and why aren't our leaders actually talking about that rather than creating a task force to uh, go after these folks? I think easier said than done. And also, because if they're not street legal, then how do you get them there, right? Yeah, and, and that's the crux of the problem. You know, I know at Fall River State Park, there's 21 miles where they say that you can have an ATV and go there. But how do you get the bikes to Fall, Fall River? Um, and also, to address our Representative Lima, uh, those kind of racist dog whistles, and that kind of hyperbole in terms of, you know, 30-day ma mandatories, that's not helpful. You know, if you're not part of a solution, then you really probably shouldn't. Well, I'm not sure it's altogether racist. It's, look, I you know a lot of there are, are a lot of people in the minority community, but there are also some white people, too. I think it's, it's the behavior. And look, we saw, let, let's be clear about this. We saw a woman surrounded last year. We've seen police officers the same way. This is, this is serious conduct that if you're coming to the city of Providence and I'm the mayor, you want to make sure you feel safe on your streets. Jim, that, I, and I agree, Jim, but I think if it was a group of just all-white ATV riders, I don't think she would say terrorists. Terrorists are the people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th and, and, and built uh, scaffolding to hang the vice president of America. Those who are terrorists. Who are also a lot of white people. Those, the, those are terrorists. Those are right, terrorists. so I'm not sure that it's racist, Jim. It's, it is strong well, language. It's criminalizing. It's making it criminalized, but I'm not sure it's a racist I think it's a dog, dog whistle. whistle. I, Sorry, no, I yeah, think yeah, what, what Jim is trying to say is essentially there's a difference between if a white person does something versus a person of color. And uh, I'll be getting to that in my outrage, hopefully, with an incident that happened with the women's college basketball this week. Okay. But I do think if these were white ATV riders, we'd be talking about this differently because we'd be saying, where do we find a space for these riders to go? Because they're just out here having fun versus criminalizing the mentality of these riders as if they're going, they're all trying to be, to do, you know, nefarious activity. Well, how do you think your mayor, Ken Hopkins, was a stark contrast to the way Mayor Olorza was handling this last year? Because they were taking him, crushing him or sending him overseas or whatever. How do you feel the way he's handled it? Is, do you have the same concerns? You know, I, I honestly, yes, um, because I do feel, but I understand why Mayor Smiley and why Mayor Hopkins are, are taking these approaches uh, to these ATV riders. It's just that I don't think it's the right way to actually solve the problem. And to me, it indicates a lack of understanding of like, why are these riders riding at all? Mm -hmm. And what other options do they have? Um, and I just think that we need to understand to better solve the problem. It's interesting this has become an issue, and I don't recall like ATVs and off-road dirt bikes being a big issue 10 years ago. I no. don't know why now. And I live near West Greenwich, where you know every once in a while you'll see a news clip about you know people there in the sand dunes having fun and doing that. So I agree with you that the groups need to come together and try to find an option. But in the meantime, and as the weather warms up, we can't have this happening in the city of Providence. I don't want to ever be on Main Street or, or Waybasa Street or wherever in Providence and be surrounded by ATVs. I think that would just freak me out. So you know, until then, what's the, how do you deter the behavior from happening? Final word? I think uh, only one city that I've looked at, and I looked at New York City, D.C., Boston, as I mentioned, uh, Baltimore, they have a program working with teenagers in terms of education, and I don't know the number of the program. I meant to write it down. But they seem to have had some success in terms of uh, 
the arrest rate going down 81% over one year. So whatever Baltimore is doing, we might want to take a page out of that book. It might not work in Providence or in Rhode Island, but at least it's worth a, a look at. Okay. Uh, new leadership in the state GOP. They had their convention earlier this month. Joe Powers is the new chairman. He succeeded Susie Yankee, who has been a panelist uh, with us on Lively. I had a chance to sit down with Mr. Powers this week to talk about a little bit of what he expects to do in his leadership role as chairman. Here's part of our interview. So this position has been challenging in the best of times. What made you want to go for the chairmanship? You know, uh... I saw early on all the challenges that they had with the Republican Party, with politics as a whole in the state of Rhode Island. And I saw that there was an opportunity for me to lend not only leadership skills, but opportunities to help build a business, um, which is basically what politics is from the found up, foundation up. I would say you stand out, I mean, clearly to the right of where most of Rhode Island is, but you're pro-life pretty strong on uh, Second Amendment. Sure. And uh, I read about back pay and, and uh, getting rid of the vaccine mandates. So that's to the right of where a lot of these districts are. And I know those are your personal views, but how do you, how do you make inroads with a Republican Party that is viewed, I think, by a lot of people in Rhode Island as maybe a little bit to the right of where it was than when John Chafee was senator? Again, granted, all those years ago it's a bit of a balance to try to bring in those independent voters, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. But you know, that's the beauty of being the chair is I'm not the one that they're electing. Uh, it's the candidates that are going to be But you have electing. to have a platform. We do have a platform, and but the idea behind it is for us to be able to reach all the way to the right and all the way to the center and kind of bring that messaging so that it is more palpable for Rhode Islanders to actually swallow. I know how to think. I don't like to being told what to think, and that's not my job to do that to Rhode Islanders either. I'm just going to show them what the choices are and what their opportunity is available through the, uh, for the uh, upcoming new Ro uh, Rhode Island Republican Party. Final question, you have uh, all of a sudden a congressional district coming up. And there's been a lot of focus on uh, the Democrats. Are you going to be able to recruit somebody for the Republican seat? We're working on that now. We actually uh, have had a couple of names that we've talked about here or there, but it's definitely something that's in the forefront of our minds. If you want to see our entire interview, we have it posted on our Rhode Island PBS YouTube page for the full interview. Lisa, let me begin with you. <laughs> My name is not one of the ones he's considering. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to put that out yeah. right now. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of, a lot of Republicans have been contacted, uh, nobody so far. We'll get to the CD1 race a little bit later, sure. but overall as the party, you've been with the party a long time. What do you think they need to do to get relevant again? They have to start thinking about the audience, and the audience is the voters. It's the same thing in communications as politics. You've got to think of who your audience is. And when he is so strong on social and emotional issues like guns and abortion, you're losing a lot of moderate people who would, might be more willing to look at a Republican. The way I look at it, he's taken over a party. How worse can it get? I mean, we have 14 seats in the General Assembly. We have no, no state officers, one mayor, no one in the congressional delegation. I think there's only the way you can go is go up. We had some good candidates run for um, on the Republican side this last election. They need to come back. They need to start, you know, continue building their knowledge with the voters and having the voters get to know them. And I think we'll start to see some gains because we do have some good candidates who've run. Are they willing to do it a second time? You know, when I when I heard Lisa say, "How worse can it get?" It it reminded me of a number of different chairmen that have come through over the years, and we talk about how worse can the Republican Party get. It may, not be able to, it may not be getting worse per se, but it's not getting better. And for me as a, as a 
Republican for 25 years uh, plus in this state, it's just really uh, not inspiring, as Lisa pointed out, to just talk about social issues. And we mentioned like, you know, folks from the right and the center, you know, humans, we're all human. And there's a way that the Republican Party can actually reach out to even progressive audiences. There are a lot of things that we have in common, and I don't think we should be looking at who our enemies are. Really, we should be saying, what are the commonalities that we have? We do may disagree on this, but the things that we have in common are very important. Just kind of like bread and butter politics versus the social issues where in Rhode Island, you're always gonna be right of the majority of people. And if that's the focus that we draw attention to, we're gonna continue not be elected. And in say another three, four, five years, we're gonna have the next Mr. Powers, the next Sienke, and they're gonna be talking about the same thing. And we're saying, how worse can it get? How about we do something to make it better? Yeah, I don't know uh, Joe Powers, but I have known other uh, chairmen in the past, and most of them have reached out to me to talk about how can we be more inclusive. And so, you know, I'm looking- Does that surprise you? Well, not surprise me, because I feel that, you know, people that are serious about growing the party should consider everybody to, to, to talk to. And, and I do know that, you know, when you start talking about, you know, anti-abortion and, 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 and pro-assault weapons and whatever, those kind of issues in terms of the demographics that are growing, uh, millennials, Gen Z, people of color, are not going to resonate. So you're not really hitting any kind of sweet spot in terms of trying to grow with the demographics that are growing. I mean, if you want to talk about things that are, are, are of mind to maybe most young people or people of color, then you've got to talk about education more. You've got to talk about housing, health, judiciary, law enforcement even. But talk about it in a way that will resonate with those communities. Because if you don't, you're not going to grow. So I do agree with Don and Lisa that you've got to do it differently or you're not going anywhere. So Don, you live in a community, Cranston, and you've run for office in Cranston. Mm. Cranston is one of the few communities that has been receptive to Republicans. Over the years, you've had Republican majorities on the council off and on. Right. You've had a Republican mayor. What do you think works locally to get Republicans elected in Cranston that may could translate on a statewide level? Common sense. That's, that's basically it, common sense. Talk about what Lisa says, know your, know your audience. Talk about the issues that are very important to the constituents and say, here's what I'm going to do to help you. More of the neighborhood, pocketbook right. issues, that type of thing. Not coming with dogma and, and not being you know, reactionary to whatever the Democrats do and say, oh, the Democrats suck and, and this and that, because that's just, for lack of a better word, stupid. Instead, Focus on what are important issues for constituents and talk about how you plan to address and resolve them. You know, when you mentioned John Chafee, and of course I worked for Lincoln Almond too, so that's how I define myself as a Republican. They were socially moderate, but they were physically conservative. So, you know, I agree with Don when I, you know, look at the city of Cranston for most of the time that we had Mayor Fong and now Mayor Hopkins, though there's been a little budget issues, they've really focused on the budget and really trying to run an efficient, uh, government that really serves the people. So I would like to see the Republican candidates focusing more on fiscal responsibility. Uh, why do we spend so much? You know, can we you know, be more efficient with the money that we do have? And on education, which is so important across the board. And I think one of the reasons why Mayor Hopkins won his election was he was an everyday guy, had been a teacher within Cranston for years, and was just very just relatable. You don't really look at him as a party label. You don't. Right, you look at him as the guy who's been in this community for years and he's done all the charitable work and all of that, right? Exactly, and if Republicans present themselves in that way, they can win. But we've been so focused on 
the, the socially right issues, and I consider myself pro-life, it's just not the way to get elected and to actually help. Final word? You know, it's just that, um, you, you know, a chair has to be responsible to the people that elected them. You know, so unless the people in the party, I mean, writ large, uh, change, uh, nothing's going to change. So it's not just one person. It's not just two people. It's, it's the people that are Republican in this state. And they have to decide a better way. I mean, they talked about elections, for example, you know, in terms of early voting. Let's not get into early voting or mail balloting. Well, you got to change that thinking because if you don't, then you're never going to win an election. I mean, that's just the fact. You got to play by the rules. You got to play by there. the rules that are yeah. there. Unless you're going to change it. I mean, you can't go by some kind of national kind of dogma uh, that that doesn't make any sense anywhere, in, in, including Rhode Island. All right, we go from uh, state Republican Party to the National Republican Party. Uh, former President Trump arraigned this week, the first time a uh, president or former president uh, brought up on criminal charges. There's going to be a lot of talk in the coming weeks and months as it plays out about the strength of the charges. But just from a political standpoint now, Don, let's start with you. I think the National Republican Party is kind of at a crossroads. We've seen a coalescing of some of the candidates around Trump. But as you head toward the election, now you have a guy who's criminally charged and he's facing some more down the line. That's a tough position for the party to be in. And, and, the, and the other, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, all them jockeying. Yeah, I, I feel like if, if, if I was Donald Trump, I would be loving this. Why? Because Donald Trump loves attention. And this is, the attention is on him. And how he's going to leverage this with his base to say, you know, they're out to get me. He's got this, the To me, as I was reading through the charges, I was like, why couldn't they just settle this out of court? Like, what is the point? The point is you, they're trying to stick it to Donald Trump, and that is as clear as day. And he will use that, rightfully so, to say, look, I'm here for you, I'm fighting for you, and they're out to get me, so that's why you have to elect me. All publicity is good, whether it's bad or not, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might be a reason why Trump didn't want to settle, because he wants to be indicted. I mean, he's, his popularity within the Republican Party shot up like a rocket. Uh, he was leading a DeSantis, or De De Sanctimonious, as he would call him, Ron DeSanctimonious, 44% to 30%. But now it's 48 to 19. So he went from a 14-point lead to a 29% lead. And he says, you know, what would have been better is for me to be photographed with a mugshot. And maybe even have the handcuffs. The cha-ching cha -ching that would have happened with that would have been enormous, and my, my ratings would have exploded. So I think he's looking forward to not only this indictment, but the next two indictments, because he's going to be more popular, and I predict that he will be the nominee of the Republican Party because of it. And maybe yeah. the Democrats like that. Well, they <laughs> yeah. love it, right? They love it. You know, what I've been wondering was, if Donald Trump, the day he lost, he did lose that election, and the day he lost the election, if he went away and was absolutely quiet and didn't, we never saw, from, saw him, never heard from him on Twitter or whatever, would this be happening right now? But the way I'm looking at it, I do believe it's politically motivated. This is, you know, essentially to stop him from running for president. So these little chip, chip, chips, you know, starting with probably the weakest of the four cases against him, just to keep him out in the news. I found it very, you know how um, a picture can say a thousand words? Seeing him sitting there so submissive before the judge, you know, that, that doesn't serve him well at all. He has, a, a, he has his base, I agree with it, but that base, is that strong enough to propel him into the candidacy for a presidency? You make a great point, though. So if he had just been quiet, do you think, so we all agree this is the weakest case. The Georgia case where they had him on, on tape, 
the January 6th where Jack Smith is investigating, and then, of course, the documents case. Do you think all of those would be pursued right now anyway if he, if he was just, we never heard from him again? You know, when George W. Bush uh, ended his presidency, he, he went, went back to the ranch. He went back. He was painting. He was just, you know, totally out. He wasn't commenting on President Obama, you know, one thing or the other. He was totally quiet. That's what presidents normally do. Donald Trump is obviously a unique individual. He wants to be in the limelight. It's oxygen for him, and this is just feeding him right now. I don't think it's a good look for him, though. I think that, you know, he loves it because he's going to be the nominee of the party. Uh, uh, Ron DeSanctimonious is too much like Trump. He's trying to out-Trump. Trump, you can't do that. He's losing badly in the polls. Trump is going to get stronger. It's like when he said, I could shoot somebody down, down Broadway and not lose a vote. He can be indicted in Georgia. He can be indicted by the GOJ. He's just going to be that much stronger in the Republican primary. He'll be unbeatable. And there's, no, there's nobody else. There's no Nikki Haley, no Pence, because they're trump light. The only other person that possibly could make a difference maybe might be Mitt Romney, but that MAGA base is 80 to 90 percent of the Republican primary base. So I see no chance he's going to be the nominee and save the tape. But the, but the Democrats can't feel good because you got a guy who's stuck. I mean, look, Joe Biden, I mean, I, I still think he's not going to run. Everybody says he's going to run, he's going to run. But do you see Joe Biden as being like four years from now, still as the president, running and then being in two years into his next term? I mean, I can, I can see it. Stranger things have happened. Um, but, and he did, de he did defeat Trump. Yes, you heard it here, a Republican saying, you know, Joe Biden won, you know, the election, um, which shouldn't be a, a thing. But Tr Donald Trump knows the audience, to Lisa's point earlier, and that's why he is so effective and so powerful. And he leverages the left-leaning media, left-leaning everything to his own advantage because he knows he pisses them off. And so he just does that to rile up his own base and get the moderates thinking, well, maybe... Maybe they are after him. Maybe he does have a lot of the right ideas. And to me, that is the genius of Trump, but also what makes him probably the most dangerous man in America. All right, let's go to uh, outrageous or kudos, and then we'll get back to another couple of things. Uh, Mr. Vincent, what do you have this well, week? Well, I was going to talk about the, uh, the, the, the Caitlin Clark and uh, versus uh, Angel Reese uh, hypocrisy. But I'll women's let you, basketball. Women's yeah. basketball. I'll let, I'll, let, I'll let Don do that. And I was going to talk to Mr., about Mr. Ethics, uh, Clarence Thomas, but I think I'll save that for the next time. Let's talk about... <laughs> let's You're talk like about, Dave Lehman. <laughs> you come four deep, right? <laughs> well, I've got to get him in when I can get him in. So let's talk about Tennessee. Yeah. Let's talk about the, uh, the two black men and the white woman, similar to what we have here today, and how you have a situation that's inexplicable, how, you know, two people or three people trying to fight for gun uh, safety because six people in Nashville were killed, including three nine-year-olds, they get expelled. Now, the last time something like that happened in a scene, it's only happened three times, it was for criminal behavior. I mean, this is something that, you know, really provided fuel for the Democratic Party Unintentionally, I guess, because now these people are rock stars. Expelled for violating the rules of the oh, House, not right. censured, but expelled. Right, and, and, and there are rules of the House and there are decorum, and I understand that. And there could have been, let's say, a, a month uh, suspension or whatever the, you want to you call it. But to expel somebody, you're not only expelling an individual, you are now ex uh, basically sanctioning their the people that voted for them, 70,000 people per district. And the fact that they expelled the two black men the young black man, and, and they did not expel the white woman. Uh, it's an even better look, you can't, isn't it? You can't, you can't, I can't make this kind of stuff up in terms of stupidity and how with the optics and how it really look. It's like, oops, my racism is showing. 
And, and, and that happened. And, uh, you know, when they asked her, why do you think you were saved and, and, they, and they were expelled? She said, are you kidding me? It's because of my color of my skin. What are you planning on your front? Yeah, the crazy it's part is he, can, he could potentially a scenario where he could come back and All, fill that seat. Both of them can come back. Or can, they can be reappointed or, I guess, in a special election, they can run again. It doesn't preclude them from running again. Lisa, what do you have? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the uh, director of the Department of Administration announced that he would be leaving. And it put a spotlight on Governor McKee's cabinet. When you look at I think there are 12 cabinet members and six of them are acting. So I started thinking about that, that since he took over as governor, which has been two years now, he hasn't had a permanent cabinet. Now, I can understand the need, you know, after Gina Raimondo left, some people left, so he needed to fill. People may not want to commit to his cabinet because he was up for re-election. So now he's been re-elected. If he was freshly re-elected in November, by this time, if he was just put into office, he would have a full permanent cabinet in place, and he doesn't. And he's also gotten salary increases, which he went for. Peter Alvini's really the only one who, and he's a leftover from the Raimondo administration. Right. So he's asked twice now for pay raises for, for the cabinet. So what is the issue here that he can't attract and retain good people who he wants to have as permanent cabinet members. And you got to think about, the, you know, even for a small state of Rhode Island, the government is very large. And if you don't have a permanent cabinet working closely together, that's not an efficient way to run the government. Yeah. Don, what do you have? My outrage is, um, <clears throat> so in the women's basketball tournament, March Madness, my favorite sporting event of the year. Um, so this one woman, Caitlin Clark, who is a really good basketball player, a lot of NBA players like her game. In one game, she did a John Cena sign, you can't see me. I loved it. I love John Cena. I, I love trash talking. You've talked a little trash on the court, haven't <laughs> yeah, you? I have. <laughs> Truth be told over the years. I have. <laughs> and um, I, really, I really liked it because I like, I like that, that style. And so in the title game, uh, an LSU player, and LSU won the game versus Caitlin Clark's Iowa team. She also did the same thing back to Caitlin Clark, and I thought it was awesome. And after Caitlin Clark did it, I looked around to see, like, all right, is anybody going to say anything? And nobody said anything, so, so I was like, cool. And then I saw this other player do it, and she has taken a lot of heat for it. And for me, as a person who is in corporate America, who kind of works in diversity spaces, the way in which white people, women included, are able to do things that other people are not able to do is uh, just, you can see it in this incident right here. And it is, it is an outrage, you know. Myself, I was recently pulled over. I was driving in the state of Nebraska. I'm a vice president of a Fortune 100 company, but in that moment, all I was to this officer was a black man. I mean, he, 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 I definitely feel my rights were violated. Uh, he asked me if I had a gun, warrants out for my arrest. I haven't had a speeding violation since 2002, knocking on something. <laughs> but the way in which black people in this country are treated differently for the same activities as non um, you know, as, as white people are, is, is just, it's different. And there was a lot of jumping ugly on social media. I'm sure that's where a you saw ton. it, A right? ton. And then you got, you have uh, First Lady Jill Biden inviting the, the losing runner. team also to the White the House. The participation trophy. If Iowa had won, there's no way she's inviting LSU uh, to the White House as well. What did you think about that? Well, I thought it was shocking, the hypocrisy and the double standard, because, you know, yes, uh, Caitlin Clark's a great player, and you know, that trash-talking, you know, that, that's part of the game. But when Angel Reese did the exact same thing, she was vilified. Right. She was vilified. The only difference between the two uh, are, are, are the fact that one is white and one is black. 
One's from Iowa. One. All right, final question, Don. Is there any trash talking going on in the boardroom at your Fortune 100 company? Does that ever happen? I have no comment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart guy. All right, folks, that is uh, all the time that we have. Lisa and Jim and Don, great to see you. Folks, if you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, you can. Uh, all of our shows are archived at ripbs.org slash lively. We're also on social media, Facebook and Twitter. And also, we are a very popular podcast, I am told by the numbers. So if you can't watch us, take us along on your walker in the car. Come back next week. We will be here with all the very latest to cover and the full analysis on it as a lively experiment continues. Have a great weekend. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.